Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host, Ethan Bartlett, and I'm in a room with Scotch. <laughs> this is my co-host, Michael Lilienthal. Hi, I'm Michael Lilienthal. I'm also in a room with Scotch. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I, I, I said the thing where, like... If I don't have the script up, I completely forget everything halfway through, <laughs> and I've already forgotten everything. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. uh, we're we're off to a great start here. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, I guess uh, the script's always. No, I'm not going to do this joke. I was going to say about how the script says like to offer thoughts on politics, and <laughs> it never seems like a good idea. Never, um, never a good idea. At the very least, it would make the show a very different show. Uh, yes. I mean, politics, current events, life. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. really much more into books by dead guys. It's like, true. It's true. I probably genuinely know a lot more about the British political situation in 1759 when the Life and the Community <laughs> of Shandy came out um, than I'd probably do about the current situation in the United States. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that so, sounds about about right to me. I mean, I'm all over um, the place. William Shatner went to space today. There are youths running wild and loud in the streets. And I watched Forrest Gump with my wife for the first time ever last night, so I'm all sorts of messed up. Okay, I have two things about that. Number one, that was like a very Garrison Keillor, like news from Lake Wobegon kind of a delivery. You're welcome. Uh, which I appreciated. Um Number two, what youths are running wild in your streets? I think they're mostly Catholics, but I don't know for sure. What? <laughs> I just I noticed some congregationing around the Catholic church in town, and then there were just a bunch of youths being loud on all okay, kinds of so street corners. Is, so This is some very specific <laughs> narrow casting to your town in Minnesota on the date that we are recording this. Right. <laughs> okay. It okay, has nothing sure. nothing to do with William Shatner in space or anything anything like that. As far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. It's great. Um all right. Well that's been your politics corner with my <laughs> And I, I don't know, as I told you in the secret part of the podcast that's before we record, Episode zero, uh, I just yes. got, yes, I, I just got back from like a big trip. So I have no idea what's happening in my town. Like <laughs> I gave myself a day or two to like, you know, before I had to go back to work, but that has just made me like be a hermit in my house. So like there could be actual like Catholic Protestant riots happening yeah. and I probably wouldn't know. I don't watch the um, news. <laughs> and by the news I hear me in my front window. Uh, yeah. Anyway, cool. Uh and this is with me looking at the script. So Alright, it says next I ha we have to introduce the scotch, and I okay. should get saying scotch out of my system now, because scotch, uh, scotch, scotch, very soon it will scotch, start getting me in trouble. Uh, Michael, were you successful in acquiring the scotch that I required you to acquire? Kapla! Which is Klingon for success. Thank you. That's, uh, <laughs> that's very good to know. I will use that, and yes, also here's mine. So... Uh, for the gentle listener who cannot see us showing our, each other our scotches, um, this is today's scotch, which is uh, the Lagavulin Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, Isla, uh, aged 11 years. Um, and also important to know is that it was finished in Guinness casks, and possibly even more important to know is that it is the Offerman edition. Mm -hmm. um, as in Nick Offerman, who, of course, played Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec and sort of made scotch drinking a thing both for his character and for his, like, persona as, um, like, a an actor or a public figure. Like, Nick Offerman is also known for drinking scotch. You may have seen his Netflix holiday special, which I believe is him sitting beside a roaring fire sipping scotch for five hours. Mm -hmm. Um 
Yeah, so... I want that job. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's the scotch we're we're doing. Um, I was a little skeptical, but also interested in the idea of it being finished in Guinness casks. Mm -hmm. I was like... I don't know, that's... I like it, because, like, it's a great Scotland-Ireland crossover energy that just, like, pushes all of my buttons. Um, Mm -hmm. But I thought it was an interesting choice. Uh, I guess... I'm not going to give too many spoilers about what I think of or might think of the scotch beyond that. Um, But that said, uh, let us... uh, I guess at this point I should have Karen read the rules so that we can free ourselves from scotch torture (laughs) and also not say anything more about scotch. Hey, Karen. Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Uh. Get this garbage out of the way. Garbage meaning anything that's not this bottle? Anything that's not this bottle of scotch. Because we haven't clinked glasses yet? All right. Hey, wife, you want some scotch? That's right. Don't lose right away. I won't. You didn't. I didn't. Lachayim. Slancha. Come over here. <laughs> hi, Sarah. Ethan says hi. Hi, Ethan. <laughs> all right. So now that we've done all of that, um, it's time to introduce today's main event, main feature, today's thing. I don't know. I should have just picked one and gone with it. The guest um, of honor. Well, that's confusing because we've had like actual human guests on the show. Never mind. Anyway. Um, yes, but this is the guest of honor. Implying that like our previous like human guests were not of honor. I mean, one of them was <laughs> Josiah, so. Uh, it's in the name. <laughs> All right. So the guest of honor is the book I Am a Cat by Soseki Natsume. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, of course, our mondo book, mongo book, whatever the word is, the phrases that we made up to describe a book that is so long we could not in good conscience assign it one of us to the other one, but both had to agree upon it and also spend four episodes on it instead of our normal two. Uh, a thing we do every year. Um, 
And, like, so, like, I just said the thing about how we, like, agree on the manga book. Um, and so it's sort of a, a mutual thing. Um, and I believe we had both read this book one time before. Correct. Um, I know I had. I believe you had. Uh, in fact, I read your copy of this book one time before. So uh, that Yes, that's right. You just sort of put it in my lap and said... Something to the effect of, like, I don't care how long it takes, but at some point you need to read this. Something like um, that. And you were right. Uh, and I was <laughs> glad I did. And so, you know, we both had sort of sort of the energy to, to bring this book. Like, it was, it was a pretty mutual thing. But that mm -hmm. said, like, all of the books on our manga book list are kind of Michael books or Ethan books in their origin. Like, like one or the other of us usually suggests them. Right. Um... So in that sense, Michael, I would say this is kind of a kind of a Michael book in that deep in the hoary past, you uh, you were the one to originally sort of attain it and, and recommend it. Mm -hmm. um, so without implying that I was not in favor of bringing this book, what made you want to bring this book to the podcast? Um, I read it first when it was early in college and I was looking for a book that I thought my wife and I would both like to read <laughs> and I this was she your, just was she your wife at the time no she was not my wife at the time she was my girlfriend at the time okay. so this was um, not like a seduction book but it was like no a bonding book but yes Yes, not a sedu seduction book. Here. Um, <laughs> so it just, it jumped out at me because it's got a big cat on it and it's just titled I Am a Cat by a Japanese author and I, I had to read it. I had to. So um, it was not at all what I expected. And this sure. was before I knew anything about Tristram Shandy. Sure. And it just stuck with me that i had to understand what was going on um and i'm not sure exactly what motivated me to hand it to you probably we were talking about books at some point and i was like this one's weird <laughs> i mean you need to check it out certainly by the time you handed it to me like you knew about my Tristram Shandy. Yes, maybe that's what it was. Session. I don't. I don't mm -hmm. know if I had provoked you into reading it yet. Mm -mm. Um. But yeah, no. I, I. I was assuming there may have been other connections, but I'm assuming that was at least yeah. one of them. Yeah. Um. So did was it successful? Did your did your wife enjoy your girlfriend at the time now wife enjoy reading this book? Not as much. Not as much. <laughs> sure. Not, yeah. <laughs> um, sure. It's okay. My my own wife uh, uh, received from me the recommendation of reading Tristram Shandy, mm -hmm. and I think made it about a third of the way through. Um, That's which nice. <laughs> she did with what I would describe as a hurtful number of the books that I recommended to her when I was <laughs> younger. Um, cause that was a whole thing with us where, uh, I don't know if this has gotten into the lore of the podcast yet, but we broke up once <gasps> and yeah, later got back together. Um, proving like proving that she just is right pretty much always. Um, and, uh, usually I just end up admitting that sooner or later. Uh, uh. But, I'm hearing a lot of qualifiers pretty much always, usually, <laughs> sooner or later. Well, or, you know. Uh, holding I remain, something back there. <laughs> I remain somewhat stubborn and foolish, uh, <laughs> as as all of us do. Um, so anyway, this, this period was between when we had broken up and when we got back together. And as a very sneaky um, sort of evil thing, she asked me for a list of of like books like, like a, a recommended reading list um uh-huh and so i what i did was i just hit her with all of my favorite books regardless of what i thought she would like mm -hmm. um 
partly to make it clear that I was not trying to like start anything again. Mm -hmm. Um, And she very gaily read like, or started like a bunch of them. Uh, But, you know, she still had enough self-respect to get a third of the way through Tristram Shandy and not just continue torturing herself um, (laughs) just for my sake. Uh, Mm -hmm. So anyway, I I guess I launched into this just to say that like, we all have our histories of um, trying to get our wives to read novels about nothing that they don't enjoy as much as we do. The the sordid histories of wives and books. (laughs) Uh, New name for the podcast? (laughs) Um, You you named it, I just condensed it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... I like that that was clearly you saying that specifically because your wife is in earshot and just uh, wanting yep. to sort of... Uh, I got to get out of it somehow. Yeah, know? exactly. I can't, can't keep myself on that hot seat. <laughs> um, anyway. It's too hot. Too hot. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I don't know. Was there anything any more you wanted to say about sort of discovering this book originally or or bringing it into our lives? No, it, well, it's one that I wanted to come back to sure. when I was older and more mature. A thing that it doesn't necessarily have a correlation um, so that I could maybe get more out of it. Sure. Um. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's fine. It just... Had a beetle land on me from the ceiling? That's not That's good. Still you, alive. you I mean this is kind of the first sign. You gotta you gotta let those people go. Let what people go? The, you know, the people that you have enslaved. <laughs> oh, oh I see. I see. This is an Exodus thing. Well, when This isn't a dare, but when <laughs> Several hundred more start landing on me, then I'll start to. Uh, I don't know. It sounds like you're hardening that. your heart there a little bit. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> we're talking about cats. We're not talking about Exodus. Uh, cats. That would be a plague. The Egyptians I mean, might have liked that one though. Yeah, like they they were. Yeah, you couldn't do a cat plague because they just loved all cats, um, which is like Ooh. yet more evidence that they were evil. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> excellent. So, I would say personally that this is definitely at least on the long list of favorite books um, mm-hmm. of mine. And when you consider that that long list includes like Tristram Shandy and Gargantua and Pantagruel, and like, mm-hmm. I just really love books about nothing. And I love them more the longer that they are. Um, so one of your favorites is the novelization of Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, I mean, for you know that Larry David has an unpublished manuscript that is that, <laughs> and when he oh, no. finally publishes it, I will at least read it. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So I don't know. I just loved it on that level. It has clear heritage of Tristram Shandy. Um, you know which. It's obviously something that I'm a sucker for. Uh, mm-hmm. A book that we've quoted on this podcast several, or at least referred to on this podcast several times, is the book The Novel, A Biography um, by mm-hmm. Michael Schmidt. That's where the one comes from about like every novel being sort of a, a courtroom analog where uh, mm-hmm. someone is trying to justify their, their actions. Um and in that book, uh, uh, Michael, I believe it's Michael Schmidt, is the author, uh, and he he has a, a passage where he says he talks about how there's like kind of two streams in the history of the novel. There's uh, what one might call the well-made novel after the well-made play. So mm-hmm. novels where everything is very tightly constructed and guns that are loaded in act one are fired in act three. 
um mm-hmm. and and there's a very clear like aristotelian incline you know where where uh uh you have a status quo a rising action a clear climax a denouement um and you know he says that's one stream of the history of the novel and you you can think of like uh jane austen um mm. uh i guess maybe like the maybe the brontes um yeah. Uh, you know, and and right down to any like mystery novels or spy novels or, mm-hmm. um, but even even in in sort of higher brow literature, there's there's a lot of others that I'm not even. I mean, Dickens to some extent yeah. probably, um, you know that that kind of thing, and then he sort of says that there's like another branch of of the novel which is like messy. It's almost rebelling against the first <laughs> branch. It's messy and it's it's digressive and um there's like asides that don't seem to go anywhere or there are just like embedded stories that are there for no reason um and they don't necessarily have like a climax or a a resolution they're doing something else um and then he listed and i kind of did it just now but he listed like a bunch of the great works in that stream of things and it was like a list of my favorite novels Um, (laughs) And so I think I am a cat fits very well, sort of in, in there in that that tradition. Absolutely, um, it's one ahead. of those two. Like a lot, a lot of the books that you were describing are in the Western canon. Yes, and this is interesting, being a Japanese novel, but it's one that's also influenced by some of that western yeah. canon too that is that is actually like the next thing i was going to say um, oh good <laughs> it's just that like i don't know i don't know enough about the history of the novel in japan mm-hmm. and in in sort of the the east um to know how sort of analogous uh you know it is it is and what traditions it might be drawing on from there um mm-hmm. i do think that like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to try to like claim this novel or any Japanese novels for like the western tradition but I oh, I sure. think especially with this one in particular and even you know some someone like uh Haruki Murakami or whatever like there is this tradition of Japanese writers who are influenced and in dialogue with western novels um right you know like Murakami for example specifically like knows that his books are going to have a western audience and I would hope that doesn't mm-hmm. like change what he writes, but to some extent, it probably changes how he, you know, frames certain things or communicates them. And um, yeah. again, I don't want to make any claims about this book because I just don't have the the background knowledge to do so. But it's clear just from the text of this book that uh, Soseki is in. Um, in dialogue at least or or aware of a lot of this western tradition like he references tristram shandy on page like 50 or something in you know in this book um Mm -hmm. so you know i don't i don't want to say that like this is a western novel like that seems pretty uh imperialistic um but i (laughs) you know i also don't want to like uh what's the term like exoticize it and say that we can't understand it or or whatever you know because it's from japan like it's it's written at a time when there is very much an international an internationalism and an international novel that's at least possible Um, yeah and like you know I, i always think about like how i would write about this novel if i were a grad student or a phd student um and like looking at the confluence of like western and eastern uh both you know thoughts and forms and um just influences of various kinds like that could be a 20 page you know term paper Mm -hmm. easily that would be pretty interesting i'd read that (laughs) that. (laughs) um as far as the the history of the novel in japan i also know very very little um i i will say that in between parts while i was reading this book uh i i looked at the publisher's website uh, sure. tuttle um and just started perusing their literature section 
and came across uh, the tale of Genji. Okay, I'm looking at that now. I was going to mention the tale it, of Genji if you didn't. It's it's claimed as the world's first novel. Yeah, and that's we've we've talked about that. Like, what is the first novel before? And so this is a contender there that okay the the novel of uh, the the history of the novel in japan is also just the history of the novel right um yeah and and tale of genji again it's one of those things that it's like anytime someone says oh this is the first novel you know it yeah it raises my hackles a little bit just in the sense that yep. it's like well that entirely depends on how you define a novel and uh-huh. blah blah you know it like it, it it's probably impossible to say with any certainty without right. defining the novel a very specific way. Um, mm-hmm. However, it is very early and it is, you know, uh, has all the ear... It, it certainly walks it like a novel. a lot of the boxes. Qu- quacks like a novel in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, uh... uh yes. I I haven't read it. I have a copy. I don't know if it's the the Tuttle edition or not. Um, and it, it seems in a lot of ways, I it seems sort of more novelistic than um, some slightly later contenders. Like it seems like it has sort of a a, a through line plot wise, which is more than you can mm. say about um, the Decameron, for example, which is just like a hundred short stories that are sort of linked together mm-hmm. um and also comes later than this anyway um to cameron is right. like 14th century uh there are uh so i read a a book that i think i've quoted on this podcast before at least uh paraphrased before um called the lives of the novel by thomas pavel um which i read a couple years ago and pavel goes back to what he claims are some antecedent novels in like ancient Greece and ancient Rome. So, you know, 500 to a thousand years before Tale of Genji. Um, so that's part of the reason that I say like, you know, depending on how you're defining your terms, it, it either is or isn't. Um, mm-hmm. However, none of that is to take away from uh, the thing you said, which is like the history of the Japanese novel is very much the yeah. history of the novel. Like there's, uh, there definitely is that um heritage there so like you know in a sense again this is one of those things where it's like you could you could write probably seven different uh graduate level papers like is is there a japanese novel or is the japanese novel just the novel and the rest of us are just its descendants Um, yeah yeah you know so i i think that's a very legitimate question to ask Mm mm-hmm uh did you did you find anything else about like the history of the japanese novel or no that's that's as far as i got i would love to read the tale of genji someday possibly even Mm -hmm. in one of our mondo books um sure i think it is like this this edition of i am a cat is 470 pages long the edition i have of tale of genji is like the pages are larger and there's like 1100 of them or something really yeah it's a the, it's a big old book this one from tuttle publishing says it's only 224 pages long all right hang on one second we may cut this out <laughs> very bad audio but i think my copy is sure? here that's massive yeah so here's my copy of that's incredibly large uh it is and it is all just the book? That's what I was trying to... Because, like, I bought it at, you know, a library sale or something, and I've never really uh, delved into it too much. Um, but, yeah, it does appear to just be... Yeah, it's pretty, there's, like, a 10-page introduction, huh. and that's just... And, yeah, it is straight up 1,100 pages long. Oh, no, okay. Yep, here I found out it's condensed. Ah, that'll do it. Right, it is. Yeah. <laughs> See, and I was I was looking at this one and saying, oh, that's not that wouldn't be a mondo book. We could do that one. It's a regular one, but it's condensed. So, um, so it's it anathema. Is. is that what you're saying? It's anathema. Hey, spit it out of my mouth. <laughs> um, freaking. <laughs> well, that'll that'll make for great audio. That's definitely mm-hmm. a noise I'm gonna keep in and not just 
Cut right out. <laughs> um, excellent. Uh, so, while we're sort of doing introductory uh, stuff about this book, um, mm-hmm. the one other thing I wanted to talk about before we got, you know, any too far... Like, before we did anything boring, like, discuss the actual text of the book, um, yeah. one thing I wanted to mention was just a little bit about the title, I Am a Cat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from what I understand, and I am going to preface this as usual by saying I am not, like, a Japanese scholar by any means. Uh, most of the Japanese I know comes from my wife, who learned it by, like, watching a lot of anime that was subtitled. <laughs> um, so, like you know i i'm i'm paraf- this is going to be a paraphrase of a paraphrase but what i understand about japanese is that like in english we have like whatever six personal pronouns basically right um mm-hmm. i you they we me you know we us um in japanese from what i understand they have several hundred uh, so there's like dozens, if not hundreds, of forms just of what we would call I, as in like I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, from what I understand, they vary based on like social class and age and like relationship stuff. Like if I were Japanese, if I were speaking Japanese, um, the form of I that I would use to you, Michael, as like someone who's like my age and roughly my social equal is like different hey wait a minute all right um <laughs> listen i know that in, in victorian england as you being a parson i would probably be your servant but uh, <laughs> anyway so but like it would change no matter what so yep. you know social equals it's different from like if you were if, if i were your servant and you were the head of the household or if you were uh older like if you were as old as you appear mm-hmm. um and got him <laughs> Uh, you know stuff like that or and then it changes to you know if you're addressing someone of the opposite sex um and you know and and then again social social other social stuff um like if you're if you're addressing like a noble or or a member of the court uh you know the the pronouns change to sort of acknowledge all of these different situations um Mm -hmm. the pronoun that as I understand it, is used in the title "I Am a Cat," uh, and I'm gonna just say what I understand it to be, and I'm probably butchering this pronunciation, but I believe it's Wagahai. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, that's like the personal pronoun that an emperor would use. Like <laughs> this is, and I think if I remember right, it's also archaic by the time this uh, this book is published. So it's like, and it, it, you know, it's, it's apparently troubled translators because it's like, how do you, how do you convey that into English without completely warping the title? Like I am a cat, you know, it seems very different from saying like, I, the emperor am a cat. Um, right. Like I've, I've heard that, a, a an approximation would be something like if you said, I, my most magnificent and illustrious self am a cat or something like that (laughs) but you know that that doesn't translators don't do that for obvious reasons um so yeah uh uh and it just i mean i love that because it just feels very cat-like to me like every cat basically thinks that they're the emperor of the world yeah Um, exactly the it, it reminds me of just the one uh uh chapter in the sandman saga um the neil gaiman comics where mm-hmm. uh they there's it's revealed that cats have like a dream lord and the the cat mm-hmm. dream is basically that one day in the far distant past humans were small and cats were large and that one day in the future <laughs> it will be that way again <laughs> um it's the only other thing i've encountered in literature that's just like so correct about cats absolutely absolutely um Yes, that that lordliness, and so okay with, I I I guess I don't know how apocryphal this is. Sure. Like my understanding about cats too is they they infect people with parasites to make them love them. Yes. 
Um, that's uh, maybe not like, how a scientist would, the, the that, vocabulary a scientist would use, but that is truth, yes. Yes, right. So, and that's like something to get into the text of the book a little yeah, bit too. That, that's something that seems to happen with this cat because he just shows up and it's sort of like the Dread Pirate Roberts and Wesley sort of thing. Most likely kill you in the morning. You know, they're going to they're gonna eat this cat at some point. But then it's just like with no transition whatsoever, all of a sudden the cat is this treasured member of the yeah, household. Especially the master <laughs> is, is the most yes. against it. And then suddenly, like, not very far into the book. And you're right. It's it's almost jarring if you, you know, in a, if you're reading it in a certain way. But it's like, this cat is literally a celebrity. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the truth of cats is... Yes. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, we can, we can just sort of dive into the text here. And that, that's a yeah. great place to start. Is, like... <laughs> it it like i had never thought of that whole that idea in connection with um the first chapter or two mm-hmm. of, of this book of of the fact that cats literally have a have a a biological thing that makes you love them um <laughs> and i don't know you know i don't know if if soseki knew that specifically but like he certainly, he clearly knew how cats sort of insinuate themselves into a household, which is just like, they right. show up and they're a nuisance and then suddenly you can't live without them. Right. Uh, I can quit whenever I want. <laughs> and the fact that he's also sort of seducing the, uh, you know, part of how he seduces the master is that he, excuse me, that he's seducing the students, you know, that that he becomes yes. a celebrity with like, the other sort of the people around him and then it's like even if the master still feels this way about the cat it's like well now he now the cat's kind of a status symbol so he's like assured himself of mm-hmm. of a certain uh rank that I can't, way i can't get rid of yeah, him yeah yeah exactly the cat's here because well, now it's... now you're cat guy and if you get rid of cat yep you're just guy you're just a guy and that's and that's there's nothing unacceptable about yeah that. yep nothing special at all <laughs> so yeah in this this was written more than a hundred years ago yeah right? 1910 sticks like, in my mind nine, the last volume was published as a volume in 1907 okay so oh, the first chapter was written 1905 first single volume edition was um, 1911 but yeah the the rest the oh single volume sure. yeah the the what got collected into a single volume looks like from 1905 to 1907 or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's, it. it's interesting because there's so, it, it just tells me how ubiquitous the ideas of cats are. Sure. Because like you've got this mythology of cats that's brought through this, and you, when I, when people would ask me what I was reading and what it was about, <laughs> I'd say I don't know. It's a cat, <laughs> and that's like the best descriptor because it's this cat that's just watching people. Right. And see, that's exactly what cats do too. It's it's never really about the cat. There are a few chapters about what the cat is doing, right? And the cat's adventures and stuff. But it's n- it's not about the cat. It's about what the cat is observing. It's about the people, the human nature that the cat observes. And that's what cats do. They sit and stare at you. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, so this cat is just documenting what he observes. Right. And then this is one of my favorite parts because, so if, if, if you wanted to poke holes in the book you know he'll bring up here's what the people are thinking and all this stuff and it's like well how do you know and then page 349 towards the bottom of the page um the last full paragraph well i guess it starts about the middle of the page um he repeats the beginning of the book and says i am a cat and then he goes some of you may wonder how a mere cat can analyze his master's thoughts with the detailed acumen which i have just displayed such a feat is a mere nothing for a cat quite apart from the precision of my hearing and the complexity of my mind i can also read thoughts <laughs> so just <laughs> which cats are mind readers <laughs> i just i love that on a lot of levels um <clears throat> partly because it's like this book so masterfully can both 
have its cake and also eat its cake, but still have its cake. Because um, yeah. it's like, that's that's something that obviously occurred to me throughout the book both times that I read it. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. you, you literally can know, you literally can, like, you're telling me that he's thinking this. You know, because that's something that, like, right. writers who look at things from a craft level are very interested in is, like, different narrative styles or choices like mm-hmm. you get access to people's thoughts or you don't um usually right. in a first person narrative like you have access to the narrator's thoughts or mm-hmm. maybe you can do some trickery where it's like oh later he told me this other person told me his thoughts so i know what he was thinking in this scene uh and then in a third person the the convention is usually like you depending on your style and how close into the third person narrator you are, you kind of pick, you either have access to character thoughts or you don't. And you know, that's right. um, a thing. Uh, but it, I, I honestly, for the first, first 394 pages of this book, I was just like, he's breaking the rules. He's doing a very bad thing, like a very naughty thing. Fictionally, <laughs> and I love it. And I just accepted it because it was a cat. Um, Probably right. because I felt like I didn't need to know if the cat was actually, like, telling the truth, or if the cat was just very confident about what the, why these people were doing and what they were thinking. Because that's like, you know, if you have, like, an overly confident person, I guess I envision cats as just, like, the most supremely self-confident people I've ever known. Um, and if you have someone like that, and they're telling a story about someone else... They'll just go ahead and be like, oh, yeah, because X was jealous of Y, he blah, blah, blah. Um, right. And it's like, if you're listening to that, it's like, well, you may be right or you may be wrong, but if they're a good enough storyteller, it makes sense anyway. And so with this cat, mm-hmm. I was just like accepting that either he knew magically and that was fine, or he was just guessing and was pretty confident and that was also fine because it just made the story better. Mm-hmm. But then when he just waits 309 or 349 pages um yep and then just lays on us like by the way I have ESP like that's also hilarious <laughs> and like I also it's love hilarious. that and also it doesn't actually change anything because he can be right. lying yeah that's true you know he could, like you, you don't actually know that he can read thoughts he could have been making the whole thing up or maybe he thinks yeah, he maybe can read he thinks lines. he has very advanced that- like like uh yeah what's the the show lie to me where they talk about like micro expressions or whatever like maybe he oh, yeah. just thinks mm-hmm. he has very advanced readings of those so he's again very confident in what right either yeah. way it i'm fine yeah with exactly it. it's a cat it's a cat <laughs> <laughs> yes oh it's great it, uh, at one point too you know it, it's it's all about him observing human nature yeah. and i oh there it is page 73 so you've got these characters who are friends of the the master, um, who isn't named for a while, but then you learn his name is uh, Professor Sneeze, okay. um, and um, so one one of the friends is Waverhouse, and right in the middle of page seventy three, in the middle of that paragraph, uh, it says at this moment Waverhouse drifts into the room in his usual casual fashion. He appears to make no distinction between his own and other people's houses. Unannounced and unceremoniously, he enters any house, and what's more, will sometimes float in unexpectedly through a kitchen door. And my note in the margin was, like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what page was this? So, 73. Oh, so um, that. Yeah. What, what, what I... I, I I think about that is, you know, we anthropomorphize things and we we see human personalities in cats and in other creatures and, and such. And here this cat is doing more or less the same thing with humans. Right. But it's, you know, it's a human author writing these perspectives in the cat looking at the human characters it it, it's yeah whatever it is what it is um but that's the 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 human commentary colored with a cat's perspective gives this sort of extra step of distance right to 
examining human nature that's um, a, a, a difference between this and Tristram Shandy, for instance. Tristram Shandy's, you know, from a human perspective, looking at the human characteristics. And this you know, maybe distances that a little bit more to theoretically add more ob objectivity, but it doesn't actually because this cat does have such a personality. Mm. <laughs> I was actually sort of as you were reading a couple of those passages... I, I was struck by the thought that, like, if Lauren Stern had just hit on, instead of doing the sort of, you know, thing where Tristram is, like, narrating his life and sort of a free-floating thing where he can go back in time, including before he's born, but, mm -hmm. you know, he presumably knows this because he's been told or whatever. If, if, uh, right. if Lauren Stern had thought of the much simpler... Um, mechanism of just having the narrator be a cat who just sort of sat around and observed things i cannot help but think he might have just done that instead <laughs> oh yeah because like well it, that you know it, th this is this is making me think too that by titling this book the way he did um uh, Sosaki Natsume, I think, was approximating the title of Tristram Shandy because the full title of that is The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman. Yes. And so by having this sort of regal, noble, waga hai, yeah. or whatever, you know, I, my most illustrious and imperial self, am a cat. It's, it's, it's similar. Yeah. In, you know, I never thought of that. That's great. I love that. Along those lines. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, a thing that you touched on, Michael, that I want to come back to that feels like it relates, though maybe I'm just insane. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you you implied a question that I had. Why not? What? <laughs> Porcina, Porcina Why not? Um, so you you mentioned it, and it was like a thing that because I don't prepare a list of questions for the show because that would be like work. Um, but I usually have four to, and I know you have once done that, which makes you the person who's put the most work into any of these episodes because you I've written a couple you came up with like too, so four we'll questions there. for Tristram Shandy, which I think like, mm -hmm. I think it took us four episodes yes, to get to, yes. but they were great episodes. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's yeah, something yeah. to that. Um, but I, I always have like between four and nine questions in my head. Um, and one of the questions in my head was, is this book about the cat? Because um, that was something mm -hmm. you alluded to, is is that, like, yeah. there's not all that much. And I'm going to try to sort of lay out both sides here, and you can come down on one, both, or neither. Um, but there's not that much. If you if, Probably if you, you know, chunked out the text, like if you really did an analysis uh I would guess percentage-wise, there's not that much about what the cat does. Um, right. Because, like, especially early on, you have some of those adventures with uh, uh, Blackie. I think he has another name. But, like, these cats who, like, bully him. And he has, like, a romance at one point that kind of has yeah. some, like, Widow Wadman vibes to it. Um, uh, mm -hmm. But, like, percentage-wise, like way more of the book is just things that the cat his action in a scene is like sitting and observing um and yes it's, you know his master's conversations or other like set piece stuff uh that you know he's just sort of look he's like a film camera almost um mm -hmm. so like in that sense you could kind of argue that uh you know it's not really that much of a book about a cat despite the title however right and maybe you've just already stated this this side of the argument too is the sense that like everything is filtered through the cat lens like very consciously mm -hmm. you know uh, uh soseki would probably have made a good like long form improv uh practitioner in the sense that like he very much stays in the cat's character the whole time. Like even how the cat reports 
the conversations and like the judgments that that the cat makes and all stuff like that you know is very much like how the cat would do uh it's not Mm -hmm. at no point do i feel like the narrative voice changes and it's just soseki you know talking to us directly now Mm -hmm. so i don't know michael what do you think is this a book about a cat yes and no (laughs) um so you you hit on a lot of the the thoughts that i have about that that the you know the cat in a lot of places just turns into the camera and just or just relates what's going on around him without inserting himself in there too much at the same time because maybe because of the title maybe because of just the cover of this book you always know the Mm -hmm. cat is there he doesn't for he could go on for 10 pages without the the uh, first person pronoun or anything else about him and you know he's there and so in that sense the cat does insinuate himself into the narrative he's always present always noticeably present and when you look at the story itself and what the book is about like you could say it's about sneeze and Mm -hmm. his friends in the same way you might say tristram shandy is about uncle toby and tristram's right. father um but that's not really saying anything either because they just talk right <laughs> there's just you know there's not really anything that happens um with few exceptions but um something that i was noticing uh in this read through is that a lot of it and this is part of what what makes the cat always present too is a lot of it is about breakdown of communication sure. that you know that you've got these people sitting around and talking but all of a sudden they're just on different pages they're not actually right. communicating anymore and that's the cat here too is there but not communicating necessarily maybe only minimalistically with the the people mm. around him um so i i started to try to notice where um, when conversations were happening, it wasn't about the conversation. It was about the commentary going into right. the conversation, which is the cat. The cat is right. the commentary that's going on there. So it that's what makes me say it is about the cat because it's it, it, he doesn't really care about what the people are sure. talking about. He's he's more concerned with his own thoughts about <laughs> what the people are talking right. about. Yeah, it's a... It reminds me of some debates in like film criticism and Hmm. um, basically, and I I have a very strong opinion about this, but it's basically the idea of whether there can ever be a neutral camera. Um, And, Hmm. and, you know, certain, especially uh, uh, schools of of film that get called neorealist are often Hmm. sort of the conceit that they're predicated on is that we're doing away with all of these plots. We're not like artificially creating drama or anything. We're just pointing the camera at reality and, you know, seeing what it captures. Um, and then, but of course, reminds me of a book called the play. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, especially if you're, cause some of these films were set in historical periods or, or still tell a coherent story and if you're doing either of those things there's still quite a bit of artificiality that goes into pointing the camera at something and seeing what happens um so again this is where i can't keep my own opinion out of it is like to me anytime you're pointing a camera at something you're making a choice um and that's Mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing like that's that's inevitable no but that's well that's maybe the problem with the debate is can there ever be a neutral camera implies that there has to be exactly um or that there should be in some in some way (laughs) or there yeah Uh, yeah but like i don't know that's just what i think of when i when i think of like whether this is a book about a cat it's like inherently a book about a cat because the cat is the camera and the cat is the cat is like both the mm-hmm. camera and the director because the cat is the one making the choices about where to put the camera. So even like you said, when right. you have like these ten page debates between these Japanese man men 
and the cat is just sort of laying on someone's lap probably uh you know Mm -hmm. it's still about the cat yeah absolutely anyway uh we are drawing near to our time for this episode um so michael was there anything else you wanted to sort of uh make sure to get in on any of these discussions before we uh break i can be patient (laughs) i can be violet sky uh let's (laughs) get out of here then um so no one lost uh so Mm -hmm. that's one out of four um that's disappointing we don't have anything to rate yet uh and so that said um gentle listener thank you wow you know what we didn't do even though i was staring at the script the whole time uh we did not break (laughs) to give them a chance to read the book oh Uh, no and we spoiled the first 349 (laughs) pages of it i was gonna say sort of like we said a bunch of times on the tristram shandy set of episodes there isn't really like a way to spoil this book i think um but that said like i i would actually say this episode probably works as introductory matter as well as any episode we've ever done yeah so i'm gonna say uh gentle listener if you're interested in this book like we've given you kind of a taster um and i don't know maybe just like if you're interested go out and read it and then come back and listen to the other three episodes uh yeah, this break between episodes is your Yeah, which is much book. less of a funny joke because there will be like an actual break um, this time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there we are. That's when I'm going to read the book. So. <laughs> wow, okay. Listen, I'd long suspected <laughs> that you just uh, did these episodes based on Wikipedia articles you'd read, but I'm glad <laughs> I have that on record. Uh, that said, um, please feel free to give us your feedback. You can go to the contact section of tapestryradio.org, put Scotch Talk in the subject line. We are at Room with Scotch on Twitter. I am at Bjartlet on Twitter. That's at B J A R T L E T T. Michael, are you on Twitter? I am technically at M G L I L I E N T H A. Very good. I'm on Instagram. I've got people working on composing that into a song. So. Uh, I'm on Instagram these days at Captain Stormfield. That's all one word, all lowercase. I'm not a real captain. It's a Mark Twain reference. Um, and you can go there and see random landscape shots of Ireland and Colorado uh, and occasionally Wisconsin. Um, so, and, and you can also DM me there if you want to be like, hey, here's some thoughts I have about I am a cat. Um that said, we will also do your homework. We don't promise to do it well. We do condone plagiarism because plagiarism is funny for us. Um, if you go to that same website, fill out the form, uh, we'll do our best. It might end up being a whole episode. Uh, if you like this podcast, sure. check out our other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network. There's Intermission, our backstage audio drama plot podcast. There's Us Play Fiasco. Uh, real play fiasco improv rpg podcast um freddy goes to a podcast where we read the freddy the pig series as three grown men um and pokemon rollout our pokemon tabletop united actual play rpg podcast uh did i do that right yes you did sweet um please rate and review us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher wherever you get your podcasts uh, that's the best way for other people to find out about us. Um, mm-hmm. And until next time, gentle listener, uh, just remember, it's our party and we'll cry if the cat judges us too harshly. <laughs> Thanks. Ooh. Bye. Bye. Obscurantism and obfuscation. 
orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours. <laughs>